Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, Real Paranormal Activity is proud to present the Sandman Lullaby with your host, Patrick Sean Jones. with his lute made tree and the mountain tops that freeze blow themselves when he sing to his music plants and flowers ever sprung in sun and showers there had made a lasting spring everything that heard him play every billow of the sea hung their heads and lay by in sweet music is such art killing care and grief of heart fall asleep or hearing die Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are in the Sandman Lullaby. I'd like to thank each and every one of you that clicked that little button uh, and to see on RPA, that's Real Paranormal Activity, what's going on in the world of dreams. 
But first, let me give some uh, things I messed up last week about. I uh, recorded in stereo, so uh, I thought that would help when I uh, when Donnie King played his music. But uh, what I found out, a lot of people only got the music and they didn't get the interview. So I'm glad that people and Aaron Frail and Aaron Hunter fixed that for you. So that was a good thing. Another thing I messed up on, and I got to take a, uh, a slap in the face, and that's I got to apologize to Aaron Frail. I said uh, the book he was writing was Scanners. I'm sorry. After I said that, I didn't have time to correct myself. That was Tuners. So uh, he's a writer. He's out there. But enough of that. Enough of me apologizing because, you know, I'm an idiot. So, But I freely admit I'm an idiot. But an idiot that is not here with me, but he is all the way in Georgia. Yes, that's Charles Oh, Charles, <laughs> you know I'm going to mess up your name. You know I'm going to mess it up bad. Go, It's Poston, right? That's correct. Okay, you're all the way in Georgia. That's correct as well, on the Gold Coast. And I actually, I'm actually calling you a bard. That's what I get out there. Well, thank you, thank you. Unfortunately, I, I don't have a singing voice to save my life, so I can't really consider myself a bard. I consider myself a jester. In fact, I go by jester. It's the easiest way to remember me. Um, it's not just a name. It's an occupation. Well, the, what I'm getting out of it when I'm talking to you is basically you're a master to- storyteller. We belong to a group called the Law Storytellers, and it's the ability to, like, weave illusions. And what I got from you, you do some... Uh, videotaping you do some live feeds and actually i really enjoy listening to a lot of things that you said which one did you like the uh the one you were talking you're bringing out all the circus folk you're telling people to come out and uh, be themselves and not to hide themselves behind the veil of the curtain but uh that that's a that's a simple thing like that but let's let's get some background information about you so why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself so the listener knows uh, a little bit about charles well like i said my name is jester it's not just a name it's an occupation in the words of the immortal danny k a jester unemployed is nobody's fool i'm a purveyor of sideshow marvels a storyteller as you said a mediocre ma- uh, magician, uh, universal Unitarian minister, uh, so, although I like to consider myself an all-worldist, not in reference to Highland, Stranger, or Strange Land, but similar in a lot of notes. Um, I also am a uh, rogue subgenius, Discordian Pope, Arisian philosopher, internal alchemist, Tactical thaumaturgist, reality surfer, psychonaut, oh yes, and the second member of the United States in Protective Mexico. Dude, you have a whole mouthful going right there. Seriously, that's a, that's a lot going for you right there. So, uh, what brought you into a lot of these different areas of your interest? Well, well let me start off. Um, in the late 80s, when I was in my early 20s, I woke up one morning and realized... I wasn't a nice guy. It's not that I was a a criminal, I wasn't a mugger or anything along those lines, but I was a social and mental manipulator, if you will. I have a lot of friends who tell stories of uh, how I'd go to a party, somebody would walk in with a new leather jacket, and I'd look at them and say, hey, by the end of the evening, you're giving me that jacket. And they did. 
you know, and, and smiling all the time, you know. My my idol back then was P.T. Barnum, so I was so I was studying circus history and such. And I woke up and I decided that I was not a good guy. I was not the person I wanted to be. So I set out to figure out what I wanted to be, and I decided I wanted to be the archetypical hero's companion. And the best hero's companion that I could think of was a jester. It's the fool. It is the classic archetype in every good hero's quest. You know, the problem was that most people, you know, when you're in your hometown, you can't really flip the script on your friends. They're going to hold you accountable for everything you've done. So, my only option after months and months of trying to change was to pack a backpack and hit the road. I walked the earth. Spent the entire decade of the 90s hitchhiking across the country. Traveling with the Grateful Dead, with uh, rainbow gatherings, with, um, you know, sideshows and such along those lines. I've learned how to do a lot of my sideshow marvels from uh, understudying with David Apocalypse, with it's Circus Apocalypse out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And it was a two-man show that was pretty good. Uh, and they taught me a lot, so... Uh, from there, I busked on the street and traveled around, mainly as a storyteller, but, you know, people wouldn't stop to listen to my stories. But hammer and nail into your face, they stopped quick. <laughs> so, on the road, how was it living on the road, well, living day to day? Um, it was, I have to say that uh, it was a taste of freedom, if you will. Okay, we go into our lives thinking, you know, you're supposed to get a job, rent a house, get a wife and kids. Hey, you're free, so on the weekends you can go home and mow your lawn and tend to your car. You're free because you have to follow all these rules. You know, this is the, uh, the idea or illusion of freedom. Freedom is never easy. And being on the road, yeah, I had... I didn't have those responsibilities of, working, you know, paying my bills, the electric, this, that, and the other, but I did have the woes of where my next meal was going to come from. So I had to hustle on the street, and I did it by telling stories and performing magic and such. So as a jester uh, companion, who were the heroes that you, uh, you say how you influenced and you helped them create their roles? <laughs> For the most part, um... Like, I've met, you know, I, I had a sideshow for a while, and in that sideshow, I've met some phenomenal individuals that had no inkling whatsoever before they met me in being in the show business, anything creative. And so I would have to say that, you know, these were the heroes that I, uh, I would put forward. And I was blessed with easy work, you know, a talker or a pitchman, the ringmaster, if you will, all he's got to do is hype the individual and let the individual go so you know I'd have to say that uh, Monsieur Bouffalatet our amazing bug eater he you know had a brilliant sense of humor had no intention on being a, a performer he was a writer but you know had 2,000 half-finished stories kind of deal on your journey, how did you uh, learn to uh, weave your illusion? Uh, um, I discovered uh, some of it I can blame my grandmother for because she 
made me watch things like Joseph Campbell's uh, Man, Myth, and Magic series, uh, Leo Vescalia. So I understood the nature of words and stories and how, if you know the pattern of a story, you know how the outcome is going to be. You also can pick up key characters along the way, you know, so... I learned that as my base work of just how I could communicate with the audience. Um, I also learned a little bit of mesmerism. Uh, if you're, uh, the way you modulate your voice, the meter, the rhyme scheme you use, um, generally helps cause a light trance in the listener. It's mild hypnosis. So you transport them when you hear the stories kind of deal. I also realized, you know, most performers, they want to elicit a response. I, I just recently discovered that uh, in proper storytelling, if you have the proper elements in the storytelling, you release oxytocin, um, oh, serotonin, and what was the other one? Uh, there was a third one, uh, brain chemicals in, in the brain. So you're pretty much affecting your listener. So is it like you're cold reading them while you're uh, telling them your story? And generally, in, uh, when I was doing uh, small groups or street performance things, I could always tell which ones were falling into the trance and you know digging the story. And I would amp for them, and you know, not worry about the others that weren't in the trance. So to speak. Yeah, yeah, that that's a beautiful thing that you're talking about. You're basically bringing in, them into the illusion, and uh, that's the trick of a good storyteller such as yourself. It's the ability to recognize even like the 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 movement of hands of your audience, how their stare is you in the audience. You know, that's the good telling of a good storyteller. Yeah, um, and I I had a lot of great help along the way you know I've seen there's been a number of excellent storytellers Utah Phillips uh, hobo storyteller I when I was younger my father always would play his one cassette tape that you know and it was all about the trains and um, hobo camps and stuff along those lines uh, one of his favorite stories or one of my favorite stories that I memorized was Moose Turd Pie so, you know, it's a very funny story. Okay. Well, so what I wanted to talk to you about is one thing that we uh, that we really have in common was when we were talking about Lovecraft. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. And for most of the people out there, that's Howard Philip Lovecraft that uh, wrote at the very uh, turn of the century, the last century. And uh, I actually want to hear some of your uh, views and inputs of uh, of his uh, dream, his dream writing and how you think that that might have uh, influenced the writers of today if they uh, if they listen to some of their dreams and uh actually transcribe them into some of their stories. 
you know, such as yourself. Right. Um, well, the first thing I admire most about Lovecraft, uh, Lovecraft is the fact that when he describes something, he describes what it isn't, which leaves the hole for the imagination to, to fill in the pieces. Um, as, that, that's part of his craft. Now, as, as far as his dreams and such, creepy stuff. You know, and as I understand, he got most of the the names from uh, from his uh, for his entities from the dreams of his seven year old niece. Is that correct? Um, which boggles my mind, considering the fact that uh, I had a linguistic friend once take the name Narlathotep and translate it into hieroglyphics, and then read it as. He who the god Ra gives offerings to. Right. Right. Which is basically right around there. Yeah. And uh, I, you know, first, uh, some seven year old child could dream up the name Narlathotep just on on a whim. Mm-hmm. Now there has to be some form of connection or communication or something like that. Now, I, you know, the child's mind is such a fresh from the creation that they can connect into places that we forget how to do. Um, I have a, a Lovecraftian story about my daughter Kaya. She, um, one day, I, I like to talk to uh, my children about my philosophies and my thoughts and such, just as of, like they're, they're the perfect sounding board, if you will. And I was talking to Kaya and Calliope, my, my two daughters, and I, I was explaining to them, you know, my view of the all-world theory, how there are infinite numbers of reality streams, and we are writing on our own personal reality stream, and we have a shared reality stream that we write upon, and just going into the basic details of, you know, the reality theory. And Kaya was getting it. She was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then she's like, yeah, you know, this is interesting and all, but I want to hear about Lovecraft. I want to hear about Cthulhu uh, and such, because she had just found my compilation of short stories and started reading it. Now, how old are they at the time? Um, she was nine, and Calliope was seven. Wow. And she has started, I want to know. So I, tell her, I started telling her, you know, the first thing I did was like, well, Howard Philip Lovecraft was a writer in the 1920s, and he wrote an amazing group of fiction. And I, I wanted to stress this because the children at her school will not understand, you know, if she starts t- starting touting Cthulhu at them, you know, kind of deal, that just wouldn't go well in her school, you know, setting. So I was stressing the fact that these were from a man's imagination, and he wrote so well that it was very convincing and a lot of a lot of stuff. And I kept stressing the point that Kaya, this is fiction, and she looked at me and said, "But Dad, in an infinite reality stream, that means that there is Cthulhu out there somewhere, and being an entity of such great nature, it could burst into our reality stream at any moment." What was the name of he who should not be named? <laughs> oh God! And this is out of the mouth. This is out of the mouth of the babes. Exactly. You know, I didn't sleep well that night. I, I, I doubt if I'll sleep after this. When I'm starting to think what she just got done saying. 
Most most right. adults don't even think of that logic. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I am I am thankful and worried for this near future. That was um uh, that exactly was my experience when it came down to my child, uh, you know, Kaya and Calliope. Um, so yeah, Lovecraft has been an interesting, interesting force in my life, if you will. Uh, I've been trying for a while. I want to pull a practical joke off around Christmas time. I want to get a group of people, and if anyone out there wants to do this, please take it. It's not, uh, I can't, uh, you know, run with this idea. But you get a group of four or five carolers, Dickens-style carolers. <laughs> Dress them up a little bit like, uh, so they reach the uncanny valley. Something's a little off with them, but you can't really put your finger on it kind of deal, and have them go to malls during Christmas season and sing Cthulhu Carol. Have you heard Cthulhu Carol? Yeah. <laughs> You're killing me, dude. You're killing me. Yeah, yeah, it's just, I'm not sure actually how that would go up. I'm especially in the Florida area, since we're the buckle of the Bible Belt, they'll probably be burned at the stake. But you're in Georgia, so I don't know how that's going to work there. I think, though, it actually might go well because, you know, a mall, somebody in the mall is going to be passing through. They're not really going to be paying attention to the lyrics coming out as long as the melody's right. You know, the, I, I anticipate the carolers will get about three or four songs before the security runs them out in the van and goes to the next one. My anticipation. But I mean, I wrote, uh, I helped write a song, I, I can't take full credit for it, but when I was in Akron, I uh, called, uh, well, God bless deceiving nihilists, may nothing of you remain, remember that Cthulhu was made upon this plane, to lay waste to the human race, and all that he survey, oh great tidings of suffering and pain, suffering and pain, oh great tidings of suffering and pain. That's pretty other stay at their stands. I just think that that would go well at a mall. It would, yeah, it, it would, it would, but it, you know what, where it would probably go better? Uh, let me, let me think, it would actually be, what's the place with rocking chairs when you, uh, you can, uh, God, what's the name of that damn place? It's a restaurant on the side of the highway. Oh, yeah, there you go. You know, if you go, if you show up at Cracker Barrel singing songs like that on the outside, you know, I, I don't know how that would go. But, you know, me, me being the personal, you know, I, I appreciate stuff like that because I'll be laughing my butt off the entire time. But, you know, the right wing conservative faction of unhappiness would probably just be like they'll yeah they'd hate it let's get to dreams let me get to dreams real quick from your journeys from uh before you started traveling to after you started traveling you know on your jester's journey what would you say that was the difference of the dreams that you had um I would have to say that, you know, my experience with dreams, and I would love to say that I had a out-of-body experience or something along those lines, but I can't really uh, quantify that as an experience that I've had. But uh, my my dreams before I took this step was, you know, dreams of wanting more, you know, of avarice. I wanted to do something, you know. Uh, there was, uh, I did, I did have 
somewhat prophetic dreams. I can't really call them prophetic dreams. They weren't like they were. Uh, I foresaw scenes, not actions, not situations, but scenes. Kind of deal. Are you currently happy with the dreams that you have? See, here's the problem. I'm not having dreams. Oh, really? I know I'm dreaming. I know I'm dreaming. But I'm not remembering a single dream that I have. Is it from when you wake up, you're just not remembering anything? Or do you think you had something and it just disappears real quick? Um, every once in a while, I'll, I'll think I have something. But it, it, you know, and it's usually something that is a shocker. It, I wake up, you know, in a cold sweat, and I'm like, "Well, I know something happened, you know, in my dream state." But uh, and then I can't recall anything about it. Just that my heart heart's pounding, you know. I don't know why I don't dream it, or I don't remember my dreams anymore. Um, it could be my extracurricular activities, you know, have taken a toll, but. I, it doesn't seem right. It doesn't. The neurochemistry doesn't work on that logic. Have you kept a dream journal or anything like that before? I have. I have a long time ago. I had a grimoire that I carried it, all my dreams around. You know, anything that I could remember, I, I, I jotted down. Where's that boat at now? Uh, actually, I think it's uh, buried somewhere in Golden Gate Park in one of my unmarked ooches. Why'd you do that? Oh, because at the time, uh, you know, your pack gets heavy when you're hitchhiking and stuff like that, and you think you're going to be able to go back to a location, and so you, you leave little treasure maps, you know, or buried treasure in locations. I think I've got, like, three whole camps set up in, you know, throughout the country. You know, one's in Golden Gate Park, you know, complete with tent, bedroll, everything else, buried. You know, um, one's in St. Uh, Louis and one's in uh, Atlanta. So, Have you ever went back to try to revisit and dig some of those up, or are you just letting them lie? Well, I, I tried the one in Atlanta. Um, I can't find it. Of course, they did a lot. You know, I was staying in the little five points area, and... They've done a lot of re, uh, revitalization to the area, so the, uh, the area that I was camping around, where I, I, I know I buried it, is now a parking lot, so... Oh, and that's how it's probably gone. Well, you know, some archaeologist doesn't... And it's, it has a note, in case anyone finds this. Oh, does it really? What does the note say? Oh, yeah. In case anyone finds this, uh... This is who I am. This is who I was. Enjoy this pack. Uh, this pack will keep you safe. That's cool. That's cool. Okay, I'm going to go to a standard question that I that I usually ask people: Living or dead? If you could meet somebody in your dreams, who would that be? Uh, well, I would have to say that uh, I would have to say that would be my son. Okay. Hard, it's a hard question now, and you know, mainly because I've, I lost. We lost Tristan twelve years ago. I'm sorry to hear that, Charles. And it was one of the traumas that kind of 
put me off my track, but put me back on my track, so to speak. Um, I had went from homeless to homeowner in, in five years, and I wanted to to give Christmas a place to, to, to grow in the country and such as that. And unfortunately, seven days after we bought the property, um, he fell in the swimming pool and passed away. I'm sorry to hear that. When he was alive, um, every night I, as I would tuck him in, he would, uh, he would say, let's meet in our dreams. And I'm like, well, where are we going to dream, uh, dream tonight? And he'd either go the 100 acre wood or Jurassic Park or Never Never Land. And, you know, there were times when I definitely remember those dreams. Um, but there were times that I, you know, I would wake up in the morning and I realize, well, I remember dinosaurs and I remember you riding on the back of a dinosaur. And, you know, and he would he'd go, yeah, and tell me. Now, I was trying to be a little more logical, you know, like a three-year-old child telling me, you know, let's be together, let's be good. It was my hopeful thinking, you know. I don't know if it was us dreaming, but I would like to see the little man again. Charles, thank you. Thank you for that. That was probably not a response you were hoping. No, no, no. But the thing is, thank you for sharing that. See, that's one thing about this uh, this Phantom Cast that we do for RPA. It's this is a it's supposed to be a safe spot so people can basically talk, and uh, that that's that's very important that you know you can you shared that because truthfully, there's other people that are probably sharing exactly how you feel, and I really thank you for uh, taking that moment to let us be with you and saying uh, we wish you'd. Uh, the very happiness and being able to see your son. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you for giving me an opportunity to share. I, uh, I'm an open book. You can ask me anything, and I will tell you the honest to God truth. Okay, well. That's how I remember it. Well, in that case, why don't you give us your digits real quick? You want to give us your email or any way the people can get in touch with you if they want to learn more about the Jester Companion? Um, well, okay, uh, I'm on, I really am I'm behind the times when it comes down to technology and such. I don't have a website or anything, but, uh, I, I, my email is charles.h.poston, P-O-S-T-O-N, at gmail.com. Um, I'm on Facebook, look me up. Uh, you'll see me in a top hat and a coat of many couches. He looks very charming. I have to admit that he, he makes me look like a redneck, but I'm I'm probably a redneck. Charles, dude, thank you for uh, being in the Sandman Lullaby. Let me get this out real quick, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, don't forget on Monday here on RPA you have Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast with your host Aaron Hunter, and then on Tuesday you have uh, Aaron's Horror Show. This is with Aaron Friel, the guy who, who I screwed up his story, but. 
but it's actually called Tuners, Tuners, Tuners. Let me say it that way real quick. And on Wednesday, you have uh, Terry's Mysterious Moments with Terry from Texas. And then, like I said, every other uh, week or two, uh, it's usually every other Thursday, you might hear something from the Sandman lullaby. Charles, 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 dude. It took a little while to get you on here, but I'm glad I finally got you on, man. Well, it's, it's, it's a pleasure. I've been excited and waiting, and um, I hope to... It, it's been fun watching you on The Lost Storytellers as well, so... Oh, thank you, dude. Definitely. I'm a big fan. Uh, I work to your podcast every time they come out. Okay, hey... You're gonna you're gonna make me you're gonna make me cry. You're gonna make me feel humble. Uh, yeah, I know for a redneck that's kind of hard. Charles, I'll talk to you, Duder. You be good, uh, ladies and gentlemen. That is Charles Poston, and uh, once again, you have been. Oh, let me forget. Don't let me forget the email. I always forget my damn email. Uh, you could. I misspelled it last time, Charles. Uh, that's probably why people are probably sending it to the wrong address because I misspelled lullaby. That's uh, Sandman Lullaby. That's S. A-N-D-M-A-N-L-U-L-L-A-B-Y at gmail.com. Charles, Duder, I'm out of here. Thank you again. Thank you. Okay, we out. See ya. Peace. <laughs> Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.